0: We've been studying and looking at the church with emphasis on our relationships within the church lately. And so today, I want to look at one particular topic that is often just referred to as our Christian liberty. But I don't want to limit the discussion to the typical topics. I want to expand upon it a little bit and think about it. And, and typically, when we, when we who have been around the church for a while, when we hear about Christian liberty, all, you know, we think about all the activities That we're given the freedom to do but not all of us agree on those activities not all of us agree that you're allowed to do them that you should do them at all that everyone gets to do them there's a lot of discussion that happens and often there's just downright ugliness that happens and churches have suffered from this issue not being resolved in a godly fashion in the past It seems like a life ago for some of us, maybe not for all of us, there were a lot of things that were considered taboo in the local church. So I bet you some of you have suffered, or maybe you didn't think you did suffer, (laughs) but some of you have probably lived through some of those issues. So can someone suggest for me a couple of those things that many people have felt were wrong to do or that were issues of discussion in your local church? Anything at all? Talk to me, somebody. Dance. What? Dance. Dancing. Absolutely. I'm glad you weren't here last night. All right, what else? <laughs> what else? Wearing women wearing pants to church. A lot of sinning women, ain't they? Yep. What I hear back here? Dress code. dress code. Yeah, dress code. Yep, yep. Cards. Playing cards. Yeah, I got a story on that. One year, I was traveling with the mission agency, and we were staying at a retreat center in the Philippines, and on the back of the door, where it tells you how much the room cost, it had this little disclaimer, and it said, if you participate in playing cards, there's a surcharge to your bill. It was a big deal. I mean, at least money-wise, you know. Maybe they would want you to play cards. I don't know, you know. It can be a big deal. What else? What else? Hmm? What? Drinking, smoking, going out with girls to do, what? What translation of the Bible? What translation of the Bible? Yep, that's another one. That's another one. Anybody else? What? We're not allowed to go to movies, that's right. And a lot of Christian universities, schools held that line. Some still do, I believe, maybe. Anything else you can add to the list? Cutting Cutting the grass on Sunday. I know, I felt really guilty about that for a while. Yep, yep. What over here? Facial hair, I know. It's my glory. It's all I got, sister. (laughs) That's all I got. Yep, the length of a man's hair. Men can't have long hairs. Women have to wear dresses on Sunday, tattoos and piercings. Wow! Okay, we'll keep moving. Um, Smoking, drinking, recreational gambling, horse races, dog races, carrying guns, carrying them to church. That's an issue these days. Homeschooling, public school, Christian school. And for the most part, there's other things you could add to this list. And these activities, none of the, very few of them are harmful, really, in and of themselves. But what has happened in the history of the church, they, these certain activities have been used to determine who is holy and who isn't. So if I cut my hair the right length and I, and I don't have a tat or a piercing, I don't dance and I don't go to movies or watch TV or go out with girls that do, you know, if I'm, if I'm, I, am, I am more holy than others. Do you see where that leads? You see that that leads to hierarchy of holiness. There are some people who are okay holy because they do some, but we still like them. They kind of fit in. There are some people that are just absolutely non-holy. They play go fish or uno, and you just can't do that. There are moderately holy people. And then there are the really holy people. And these are the people that we just, they are untouchable to all of us, less holy people. And what happens is you find that spiritual maturity is determined by observing rules that are not in the Bible. Spiritual maturity is determined by observing rules that are not in the Bible. Many of us have felt that pressure that you have to do or think or act a certain way to fit in or to be a part of the club or to be godly. And let's just pause right there. In our local churches, there are so many that are out there watching from a distance that says, I could never go there. I don't dress the right way. I could never go there. They don't like tats. I could never go there. And you fill in the answer. You fill in the answer. What we want to be as a church is the kind of church where you can come in and you can have your blank filled in and you can come in here and sit down and even the most conservative of gentlemen would still say, How you doing? Nice tat. You know? (laughs) And keep moving. Where what you look like is not important because what's important is what you are on the inside and what is really important is what you believe about Jesus. And so when you walk in, what we want to be as a church is that if you find someone who looks really different than you, I just double-dog dare you to make sure that's the person you sit next to. It will go a long way toward commuting something about your relationship with Jesus and about our church body. So the way we look is not important. As a matter of fact, when we celebrate the differences in the way we look, it is a really, really good thing. And that includes racially as well. That includes racially as well. You know, Christian liberty equals like you are free to do all, but you won't do it. In other words, Christian liberty often is translated in all this, that you're free to all this, but you won't if you're godly. That's what many, and I would say, what the term that is used are legalists. They would say, hey, all that's okay to do, but if you're really godly people, you wouldn't do that. No, uh-uh. Other would state that you're free to do all these things, and only the really weak have a problem with them. And so you see how neither of these assertions are very loving honoring to God. Judging spirituality based on outside issues is an absolutely pitiful sham for the real thing. Because, you see, the real thing is this. God does not judge us based on our actions. He judges us based on our belief on Jesus. And so, you know, we come in here, and the thing that if people say, well, that's makes you, that's, that's not, you're not very godly if you do that kind of stuff. Or, that person must be really godly because they don't do any of that stuff. And God is really not ultimately going to be interested in what you did or didn't do, whether you smoked, whether you didn't smoke, whether you had your whole collection of stogies and you collected them, you're really proud of them and all that kind of stuff what is going to happen one day is that you'll go before him and he's not going to say, "Did you, how long was your hair? What did you wear to church? Any of that stuff, he's going to say, what did you believe about Jesus? And that answer right there determines your entire eternity. And you'll find in that moment that all the things you thought were important on a Sunday morning or you thought were important about being a part of a church body, you will not think of at all. Because the determinative factor is what did you believe about Jesus? There is no action that you're going to do that is going to send you to hell. Because the punishment of hell are for those who say that Jesus is not for them. What you will be judged on is what you believe about Jesus. And so this morning there are a lot of people in this room and there are a lot of people that you know and what they believe about Jesus is really, really important. What you believe about Jesus is really, really important. Because if you believe that Jesus died, he was a really good guy, but I also believe that Gandhi was a pretty good guy too, that I also believe that Buddha had 212, no, I'm not sure, I'll I'll take that back. Buddha had a lot of principles that were great principles too. That you know what? I'm just covering all my bases. And so I'm going to just keep all of them together. And I'm going to have a little bit of Buddha. And a little bit of this one. A little bit of this one. And you're just going to make a cocktail of spirituality for you. And you hope if you drink it every day. It's going to improve your opportunities. None of that's going to work for you. Because Christ said that no man comes to the Father except through the Son. Except. Through him. And so someday you're going to stand before a holy God and he is going to say to you, What did you believe about Jesus? And if your answer is, I realized one day, Lord, you might have remembered it. I was in sixth grade, I was sitting in a pew in a little Baptist church in Portales, New Mexico. I had slept through the entire service, but that day when I heard them say that I needed Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, I got up and I trusted Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And I believed on that day that I could not do anything about my sins and that I needed Jesus to do that for me. He'll go, man, alive, I hate it when you sleep through church. But that's the right answer. Believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins is the right answer. Come on. You're part of my family. I've got some things over here prepared for you. It's called heaven. It's called paradise. If you come forward and you say, you know what? I went to church every Sunday. And I took communion when they offered it. And I went and served the little old ladies. And I wiped the baby's bottoms. But you know what? I just had a little bit of problem with that thing about Jesus that he's the only way. So I just did a whole lot of this other stuff. And I'm sure that that counts for something. And he's going to say, I'm sorry. You were very busy. But you didn't believe in Christ as the only answer to your sin. I'm sorry. That's not what it takes To come into heaven. For if you do not believe in Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. That means you still owe a debt for sin. And if you still owe a debt for sin. That debt has to be paid. And that debt. Is an eternal punishment. In a literal hell. I'm sorry. There's something prepared for you. As well. This morning, if you're here and you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, let me just tell you, it's this. Jesus came and died and rose again from the grave to pay the penalty for the sin of mankind. And John 3.16 says that whoever believes on him shall have eternal life. And that's all. Believe. Believe. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to talk a certain way. You don't have to read the right Bible. You have to believe that Jesus died for your sins. That pays the penalty for your sins. That opens up the door for a relationship with the Creator and the ultimate holy God that apart from that forgiveness by Christ, you do not have that relationship. I'm sorry, but being in the wilderness does not make you more holy. It just inflames your allergies. I'm sorry, being here every single Sunday morning does not make you holy. It just fills a chair. You can do all the right stuff, but until you place your faith absolutely and totally without reservation in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are condemned. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. No one has to worry about judgment if you place your faith in Christ. Although we in the local church have done a good job about messing that up a lot of times. We find that in Corinthians that Paul wrote about this thing about the local church messing it up. They were struggling with legalism and the Christian liberty, which Paul had was writing to them about, the misuse of communion, all kinds of things in the Corinthian church, sexual relationships between family members, all kinds of interesting problems. Peter also addressed the issue in Acts as the result of a vision that came down, and then Paul also wrote to it in the church in Rome, in Romans 14, which is the passage that I hope you have in front of you right now. Let me read that passage to us, all right? No, accept the one, I'm reading from the New American Standard, so if you don't have that, just read your Bible and I'll meet you at the end. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So in other words, if you have somebody who's just come into the faith and they're not sure about what they can or can't do, accept them in, not so that you can influence them, but so that you can love them for who they are. One man has faith that he can eat all things, but... He who is weak eats vegetables only. Let him not who eat let not him who eats regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who does, for God has accepted him. Do you hear that right there? That's what we were just talking about. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do because God has accepted them, and he's like he's God and you're not. I mean, some of us are convinced we are. It's untrue. That could come as a shock to some of us, but it's untrue. God is the one who accepts mankind, and and whether we accept them or not, God does for who they are regardless of these issues. Verse 4, who are you to judge the servant of another? You hear that? Who's the servant of another? It's God's servant. Who are you to judge God's servant, he's saying, and his own master he stands or falls? And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, there's some theology built in that passage right there. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, if you believe something, believe it and do it. But stay in your lane. Believe it and do it. Recently, Owen was running the 100-yard dash for the Council Rock South track team. It was his first time ever. We were really interested in what that was going to look like. So Owen hears the gun go off, and he bolts down that lane, and as he's going down the lane, Owen felt compelled to, you know it, fist bump the guy in the next lane. (laughs) It's what we do, right, boy? Yeah? Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. If God's convinced you that you shouldn't be eating meat, don't eat meat. If God's convinced you you need to have your hair long or short, if God's convinced you that it's okay to drink alcohol and, so, and others aren't, stay in your lane. It's, it's none of your business. But it becomes a problem when you look at someone else and say, what a weak and pitiful, unmature Christian you are because you don't do what I do. It also becomes a problem when the weak ones say, You're wrong for doing that. When you stand your lane, there is a place where you go out of bounds. We'll get to that in a minute. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks for God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to me. So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, Not to be an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Right there is where we begin to get out of our lane. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Did you hear that? He's saying, if you are in your lane and what you're doing is going to cause a brother to stumble, you need to stop. You've been given the freedom to do it, but you need to stop. Therefore, do not let what is given to you as a good thing be spoken for, of as evil. If you've been told it's okay to drink, and you're going to do it in regardless whether it offends another, then it's become a bad thing for you. If you think it's okay for you to smoke your stogie, and it offends another, it's become a bad thing for you. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking and smoking stogies, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he, who, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself from what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not of faith is sin. Awful lot there. The definition... Of Christian liberty, we're going to work with here for a moment is the freedom to make decisions about matters that are not explicitly revealed in scripture without fear of sinning we have great freedom great liberty as Christians 2nd Corinthians 3 says that we should all work but it doesn't tell us what type of work to do Hebrews says do not forsake the fellowship but it doesn't tell us where to go to church Romans 12 12 says would be thankful in prayer but we're not told how many times to pray. We're not told how long to pray. We're not told to knee, kneel and bow down and face Jerusalem. And those are just a few examples of things that we're giving opportunity to exercise our discretion in. Sinclair Ferguson had four principles that we're just going to touch on this morning. The very first one is our liberty must never be flaunted. Romans 14:22 refers to that. So whatever you believe about these things, keep that between yourself and God. It restated, it says, you don't have to exercise it or do it in front of everybody. I know one time I heard Charles Swindoll say that he was asked about his particular practice about one of these liberties. And he says, what I do in my home is what I do in my home. And I'm not compelled to discuss that with others. He's talking about this kind of thing right here. I'll do it within my home. I'm not going to offend anyone that way. So if you feel compelled to post a picture of every craft beer you drink, of every stogie you smoke, of every one of these little areas you might go to, if you feel compelled to do it in such a way that it's like, look at me, I can do this. Look at me, this is what I get to do look at me, I'm a Christian, and I still get to do this, which is not a far-fetched thing that some Christians do, then I would venture to say that that activity should probably be limited for you because your pride has entered into your activity. And you're talking about it because you're proud of it. And that violates Four, verse, 14, uh, verse 19 of chapter 14. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God, for all things are clean, but they are evil for those who eat and give offense. If you're constantly bragging, then you love and delight perhaps in your activity has a control on you that suggests that you need to abstain from it. Number two, don't determine who, will fellowship, who, you, who you'll fellowship based on what they believe on a liberty issue. So, you know, it's like I'm only going to fellowship with people who wear dresses to church. I'm only going to participate with people who look like me. I'm only going to fellowship with people, I only want the people in my small group who will like be okay with what I do. They're not going to give me a hard time about my choices. What do you think's wrong with that? Isn't there a little bit of sense of protectionism about that? That I don't want to be challenged about my choices? That I'm afraid that you feeling different than me is going to make me have to... Matter of fact, it's kind of like this. You think about it. If I'm around people who believe differently than me, I might actually have to consider what I'm doing, and I might actually have to stop doing it. But see, being around people who are different than us, especially in these areas of Christian liberty, are really great. Because then you're going to go back to Scripture and say, Am I really? Am I really okay with this? Is this really good for me and for the people around me? And you might find that it really is. And you might find that it's really not. And you need to change some of your behaviors, or at least some of the places where you're behaving that way. Choosing to just hang around with people that we look like and that we act like and even that we believe like, I got to say, that's, that's the weak Christian right there. Because they don't have their convictions solid enough they could stand and, and explain them and be transparent enough that they could stand and, and like have a discussion about them. So those who have to insulate themselves with everyone who looks and acts like them, those are the weak Christians, not the others. I have found that the very best places for my spiritual growth have been in my environments where we believed differently and we were able to have discussions where we could look at Scripture, look at our lives, and have a spirited discussion about them. Those are the very best places to be in. So be in a small group. Be in a small group that does not have people your same age as you. Be in a small group. This one, all right. This was a free one. This is bonus. I just thought of it. I'll probably regret it later. If you're single, be in a group of married people. If you're married, be in a group of single people. If you're really ancient, find some young people to hang out with. If you don't have kids, hang out with people who do. Mix it up. Mix it up. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know what you're. I know what you're saying because I've heard us all say it. But there's room for both. And there's room for both. And there's room for you to hang out with your twenty-something, padded, cool people, and then there's room to hang out with the fifty-year-old, dull people. It's amazing what you might learn. Look at yourself in the future. That's what you're going to do except for your tats are going to be sagging. You're going to go, all well, right, I don't remember what that was when I put it on there. <laughs> mix, mix it up. There's a lot of, of great value in our spiritual lives to do that. Three, how we use our liberty should never be a hindrance or stumbling block to another Christian. A stumbling block is anything that would trip someone else up. Anything would trip somebody else up. There are some in our midst today that our experience, or our lack of experience, has caused us to be sensitive in a way that others are not. I, you know, I know that men who cannot look at the Target ads because there's always going to be bra and panties in there, and they're going to get triggered by it. I know that there are some that cannot be in a room where there's going to be alcohol flowing because it's not a good thing for them. There are experiences in our background that make us sensitive to issues, and we need to be sensitive to those people and not minimize their issues, but take them for real. What does it mean when you take people's issues for real? It means you value them. And that's what we're supposed to be about in this room, is valuing others. And then to our next point, we don't live to please ourselves. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, The reproaches of those who reproach reproach thee fell on me. Christ didn't leave to please himself. There's nothing fun about coming and hanging out with us when you could have stayed in heaven. There's nothing fun about leaving the glories of God And the holiness of that and coming in and experiencing what we live in day in and day out. There's nothing fun about watching your creation reject you. you. If you're a parent of a teenager, you understand what I'm talking about. There's nothing fun about living with them most of the time. Because they feel like they reject us as they're trying to learn how to live life on their own. And so here, Christ came to earth and lived among his own, and John says, and his own did not receive him. Do you think that doesn't hurt because he's God? No, not at all. He suffered that for us. He did not come to please himself. He came to serve us. And so likewise, we come into this room, and we also are to serve each other. We have rights. And the issue of our society is struggling with so much right now is that we think that everyone who has rights should have the opportunity to exercise all of them. And we've not come to grips with the issue that everyone cannot exercise all their rights without someone's rights being impinged upon. Someone has to give up something. And in the church, Christ says, we give up things gladly because we love and esteem others more than ourselves. Luther said, a Christian man is the most free of all, subject to none. But a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Just as the Lord was, so should we be. And I found this quote somewhere. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I have to say that it's been my experience that when we are working through an issue of Christian liberty with another believer, we don't love them very well, typically. And so when we are not loving a brother well, because they don't believe like we do, because they don't act like we do, because they shimmy on the dance floor and we don't, When we have those issues get between us, it reveals how much we love God as well. The way we exercise our liberty should be a stage that showcases how we love and serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been talking a lot about this little stage thing here and how different things reveal the character of God. Well, the way that I love you and the way that you love me in these areas of discretion reveal how we love you, how we love each other, and how we love God. And when we love God well and when we love each other well in this area, we showcase what it means to be a Christian family. We show to the world this is how we love each other, even in our differences. There's no one outside marking in the parking lot saying, you know, free stogies for everyone, you know. And we don't have to have to call the police in to say we got to settle this appropriately because everyone has this big disagreement. No, we love each other and we give and take to each other. And so I do have the right to drink a beer But if it's a problem for you, then that right is not mine any longer because out of my love for you and out of my desire to serve you, I will put aside my right. And whatever it may be, because there is a host of these things, how we treat these things, how we do these things reveals how we love God and how we love each other. And so the Christian liberty issue... It's not an issue to say, oh, I hate these things. No, it's an issue to say, huh, here's an opportunity to love. Now, I got to tell you, I don't think about it that way all the time, but that's the way it really is. Here's an opportunity for me to see how spiritually mature I am as I love those around me who are different. Let's pray.